its feet. 20,000 plus here, trying to be that sixth man. Kyrie sizing up Westbrook, fires a long one. Oh, the bottom video game again. Kyrie Irving, timeout, thunder. I can't take it anymore. Welcome to The Bottom, a Cleveland Cavaliers podcast with SB Nation. I'm your host, Tony Pesta, and today I'm joined by Jackson Flickinger of Fear the Sword. Uh, welcome to the show, Jackson. Uh, thanks for having me on. Ready to talk some Cavs. Yeah, definitely. So uh, the Cavs currently starting their West Coast road trip. They've played games against Denver and Phoenix. Up next, they have Utah, Portland, and Minnesota to round out the road trip. And after that, they come home for a game against New Orleans, and they finish out this you know, kind of brutal 10-game stretch with a mixture of home-and-away games against Memphis, Golden State, and Milwaukee. So entering January, I feel like most people looked at this month and thought this could just make or break the season because that schedule just looked like an absolute gauntlet of the best teams. Uh, maybe it won't be as brutal as we thought. They played Phoenix twice, uh, didn't have to see Devin Booker either time, and I, they missed out on Chris Paul the second time. The Denver game was a loss, but overall, I think they're off to a pretty decent start in the month. And uh, that New Orleans game, they'll be going up against the Pelicans without Zion. So I think the Cavs are in a good position. Uh, how do you feel about their start to this road trip so far? I mean, you can't you can't ask for anything better. You know, great. You know, they got they got some good luck definitely with Phoenix. Um, mm. I thought they I thought they had a good showing against the Nuggets, who are the who's the top team in the um, West. Uh, it's really hard to win games without Mitchell based on how this team's yeah. constructed, but I thought they really competed well. Um, you know, and if, if they compete to that, to that level with Mitchell, I think they're going to be pretty decent. Uh, you know, they um, should have a pretty good road trip. Uh, the sun, the, the sun's game on Sunday night, I thought they kind of played with their food a little bit at the end of the second quarter and at the start of the third, it really should have been a game that they had, they got all the, all of their starters out of, out of there with under, you know, 30 minutes mm. uh, to play for each of them. Uh, that didn't really happen. Fortunately, they, you know, uh, uh, Darius Garland, Neto, that crazy lineup, mm. they uh, yeah. took care of the game, really put it away. Um, but but you know, I think I think they're in a good spot, uh, at least at least going into this game against the Jazz. Yeah, I agree. I think um, obviously you'd like to put that Phoenix game away a little earlier. Even the first game at home, you probably wanted to get that done a little. Uh, or, well, they, that was the one without Mitchell, right? So that was a little bit of a back and forth game. I guess that makes sense. But the most recent Phoenix game, yeah, you want to take care of business a little earlier, but. They do have a little bit of luck with, you know, a day off here in between games. So that helps. Um, they're 26 and 15 right now, fourth in the East and two and a half games back from Boston. So I'm feeling good about where they are. Obviously, again, some tough games up ahead of us, but specifically the game that's coming up, I guess, today when you listen to this is the Utah game, which I know you'll probably hear the typical answers that it's just one of 82 and it's nothing special, but there's definitely some added weight to this game, considering this will be Mitchell's first game back in Utah since the trade. You get Lori Markinen, who is having just an incredible season, um, probably leading the most improved player race, I would say, or at least in there for sure. Um, 
playing amazing basketball. Even recently, he had the 49-point game against Houston, so he's just been killing teams. Uh, And then going back to Mitchell specifically, his first game back is always going to be something interesting. Um, I think at least for his time in Cleveland, he really hasn't had to face any super hostile environments. And that's not to say that Utah won't still have love for Mitchell when he was for, you know, all the stuff that he did in a short time there. But when a star leaves the franchise in that fashion, this is probably going to be one of those games where he just gets booed every time he touches the ball. And I don't think I can't speak for a time in Utah because I didn't watch enough of those games, but I don't think Mitchell has ever really been in that environment in the NBA yet where he's just getting booed relentlessly. So I'm interested to see how he's going to respond to that. And I'm also interested in seeing how the Cavs are going to respond in being in a super hostile environment because they've played in rowdy crowds before, like Toronto for sure. But I don't know. I think the Utah game might be a little different. There could be really some uh, hatred there for the Cavs. So I'm interested in seeing how they're going to hold up on the road in Utah. What are you most looking forward to in this Utah game? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure he's going to get a bad reception, but it is going to be an emotionally charged game mm-hmm. so it's going to be when he's there he's going to you know he's going to be reminded of all the things that they accomplished together he's going to you know this is the team that drafted him they gave him a chance he became a star with this team there's a lot of good memories there and they didn't get over the hump in the playoffs but they you know they really performed well and they and they you know it was a team that the city rallied rallied around so I don't know if it's going to be a hostile atmosphere as much as it's going to be an emotionally charged one, because if you're a jazz fan, you, you probably see Mitchell and you sort of wish he was on your team still, but you're, but you're also happy with what you got back. You know, you got Larry Markkinen, you know, who's becoming, who should be an all-star this year. You know, Colin Sexton has, hasn't, hasn't really had, the season that he probably hoped he would have, but it's the first year coming off of his ACL. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he's been well, well received by the, by them so far. So I don't know if it's like, I don't think it's going to be too hostile, but it it will be, it will be a tough game still, you know, you're going to have a sellout. The fans are going to be there for all 48 minutes, you know, so it, it will be a good test for this team. Hmm. Yeah, my guess would be that Mitchell probably gets a warm reception at the start of the game, but then maybe once the game gets going, there will be boos. I don't know. We'll see. I could be completely wrong. Maybe he won't get booed at all, but that's that's something that I'm most looking forward to is just kind of watching what the reception is going to be. In terms of the actual game, um, we talked about Saxon. He will most likely not be in that game. It seems like he's going to be listed as out with the hamstring injury. Uh, Jordan Clarkson, who I forgot to mention, another former Cav who will be in this game. That'll be something fun to watch. As for the actual basketball being played, Utah has lost two in a row, and they're just two and six in their last eight games. With that being said, though, basically all of those losses were decided by one or two possessions. So it's not like they're in a huge slump and they're playing horrible basketball. They're just kind of not, you know, closing out games. So it's going to be a tough one. Uh, I think the thing that jumps out to me the most right now is they're fourth in three-pointers made per game. And three-point, I mean, the Cavs have just been getting killed from the three-point line recently. Most of it almost isn't even their fault. I know that's a little reductive to say, but 
Carter tweeted out a stat today that I wanted to read because I think it just shows the luck they're working with. Um, Over the last 10 games, the Cavs are allowing 12.6 wide open threes a game, which is good for second best in the league. During that stretch, opponents are shooting 50% on those shots, which is the best in the league. So the Cavs, obviously, you know, there's been some open threes uh, specifically in the Pacers game where Buddy got hot and a lot of those were wide open. But for the most part, they're not doing a bad job defending the three-point line. They're just getting killed for some reason. And when you're entering a game against the fourth best three-point shooting team in the league, that's something to watch for. Hopefully the law of averages will kick in and they just won't be able to make a shot. But uh, what do you think is going to happen in this game from the three-point line? Uh, you know, this team, this jazz team has the ability to put, to put some points on the board. There's, you know, they lost, they lost Mitchell, uh, and they went from being the number one offense in the, in the league, according to cleaning the glass to being the number three offense in the league. So this is still a team that likes to get up shots. They, you know, they're a very good three point shooting team. Uh, the defensive end, they're a little questionable on that end, but you know, their, their ideal game is making it a, um, offensive shootout. And that's really what we've seen in their last, in their last handful of games. You know, they're losing close games to the Kings, two close losses to the Kings, you know, a 126, 123 loss to Miami, you know, so if the jazz are playing their brand of basketball, they're going to be getting up points. You know, this game's going to be in the 110, 110s, 120s. So, you know, that's not really a zone where the Cavs like to play their games. They like to keep it more under 110, you know, try to slow down the pace a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, it'll be interesting to see what style wins through. Uh, in their in their first meeting, the Cavs actually, actually did a really good job of pushing the pushing in transition they kind of you know took what the jazz do and just did it better but that was in front of a home am home crowd they had a lot of momentum at that time so this is going to be a, a um, different test for them but it should be fun to see how they um handle it uh they just have to have to you know get opponents to stop hitting so many threes and it's it's such a weird conversation because yeah they're not giving up they're not giving up uncontested threes. So they're not just, it's not just like, it's not the 2018 Cavs when they made it to the finals in LeBron's last year, where it was teams were just making two passes and then, Oh, look, there's an open three. So that's not happening, but you know, they are letting perimeter players get a little comfortable out there. They're comfortable, you know, taking those shots against this team. And that's, that's one of the things that has really shown through when like when you get Raul Neto out there, he's someone who's pressuring ball, he's pressuring ball handlers and just is providing something completely different than what, you know, this current backcourt currently is. So it's just, you know, I do think it's it's certainly luck-based. Opponents are hitting a ton of open shots, but they're, you know, I think they're letting opponents get into that rhythm and letting opponents get comfortable on the perimeter. So it's a bit of both in my mind. I agree with that for sure. I think uh, Neto is a great example because that just shows how a little bit of physicality can go a long way toward stopping an opponent from getting into a rhythm. Um, Luck, like I said, plays a little bit of a role in it, but you bring up great points too that 
every player in the NBA can get hot from the three-point line, it feels like now, or every team, I mean, can get hot from the three-point line. And when you allow them to make a couple easy shots early on, it's like at that point the cat's out of the bag and it's kind of hard to stop it once it gets going. So that'll be a, a key point of emphasis in this jazz game. And I'm glad that you brought up the pace too, because that was another thing that I was looking at. They play at the 11th fastest pace, which isn't blazing quick or anything, but the Cavs are dead last. So it's, you know, a faster brand of basketball than they typically play. I'm interested in seeing how well the Cavs decide to control the pace of this game and if they can do it on the road, because I think that's something they've struggled with the most is kind of dictating the game on the road and enforcing their will on other teams. And I would, I'm interested to see if they do, if this game turns into a run and gun game, will the Cavs be able to uh, outshoot the jazz or just score more points than them? Because like you said, the jazz aren't exactly a great defensive team. The Cavs are even in transition. They, they have shown, you know, potential to be a good defensive team. So I'm interested in seeing, is this going to be a slow game where the Cavs force the Jazz to play in the half court and beat them? Or are the Jazz going to run wild? And if it does turn into a game where the Jazz are running wild, can the Cavs overcome that? Because I think most people, and even JB, would like to see the Cavs play a little faster. It's just not something that they've been able to do this season for various reasons. Um, Obviously, you want to play at a slower pace when you have such great interior defenders and it's really difficult to score on them in the half court. But kind of leading into our next topic here, the fact that the Cavs haven't been at full strength for most of the season is probably at least part of the reason why they have been playing at a slower pace. And as we move towards, you know, getting Rubio back soon, which could happen in the Utah game or at some point in the next few weeks, you would hope uh, you get Wade coming back soon, too. And Neto obviously playing great, giving you a little bit more depth. Maybe the Cavs will start playing at a faster pace. What are you most excited for with the Cavs nearing full strength for the first time all season? Uh, I'm just excited to see Ricky Rubio back on the court. Uh, You have to keep your expectations in check when someone's going back from an ACL injury. You know, we've seen that with Colin Sexton this year where Colin will look good for a couple of games and then, you know, something happens. He has a minor setback and he, you know, he's just, he's just not the guy that he was prior to the injury. It usually takes guys an additional year after, you know, it it takes them two years before they're fully back. So, you know, you got to keep your expectations with Rubio in check, but I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't excited to see how he plays, you know, last year, the Cavs had, so much success with Garland and Rubio on the court together. It was ridiculous. When he left, they just never were able to replace that because there's things that Rubio does that no one on this team can do. Uh, and that and that really shows through uh, in the um, on-off numbers from last year. So when the Cavs had both Garland and Rubio on the court together, they had they were outscoring opponents by 16.2 points per 100 possessions with an outrageous 116.4 offensive rating and a and a 100.2 defensive rating yeah they you were know. just killing teams yeah they were it was one of the best two men lineups in the entire league up until he got injured and then when he you know without without him they were still a good team when they had Garland Allen and Mobley but they just 
weren't that same team. They weren't the team that could just pile on points, you know, and I'm really interested to see, okay, how does that look like when he returns? How are how is JB going to, going to manage these lineups? Is he going to go with a three guard lineup with Mitchell, with Mitchell Garland and Rubio, you know, because Rubio is one of your five best players. He showed last year that, you know, he's not scared to put together unconventional lineups if it means getting your five best guys out there. You know, the Lowry, the um, Lowry Markinen decision to start him was pretty controversial at the time. It doesn't, it seems stupid to say that now because it's like, oh yeah, Lowry at the three, that was great. Yeah. But, you know, he's, he's one of their best players. He provides, he's not like, he's not a great shooter, but he, he provides so much space for this team, his ability to, his ability to act on ball, his ability to move off ball. He's just a very smart basketball player who knows what he's doing on both ends of the floor. They need the Cavs can't have enough guys who can dribble pass and shoot. And Rubio is one of the best on the, on the team at those three things. So, you know, I'm, I'm just so excited to see him back, you know, getting Wade back. That would also, that will also be great. We haven't seen, you know, I think, probably the best version of this team has weighed at at the starting three at least with the guys that are currently on the roster but we haven't seen those five start this year we haven't seen the core four and wade play many minutes wade started some games when garland was out at the beginning of the year and those lineups did great but we haven't seen those five together so i would you know i want to see that as well you know can can Wade be that fifth starter? Does he get overexposed like Karis LeVert, Lamar, Lamar Stevens, and probably soon Isaac Okoro will, you know, or is he going to fit in and just be that guy for them? So I'm, you know, I think he's probably going to not be, probably not going to be the long-term solution there, but maybe he can be the short-term one. So I'm excited. I'm really excited to see both of these guys back i'm interested to see how jb handles this how are the rotations going to look you know so it's it's an exciting time to be a Cavs fan definitely definitely i'm extremely excited to see rubio back um like you mentioned the numbers with him and garland last year were just incredible i'm sure it won't be sustainable to that degree but they definitely showed that that two-man lineup is something that works for the Cavs. um Personally, I think one of the most overrated concerns in basketball is when people say, oh, there's only one ball, so you don't want too many guys who like need the ball to be dominant. I disagree with that. You can never have too many guys who can create and off the dribble and play make and create shots for themselves. And Rubio is a guy who has proven that he can do that next to other ball handlers. So I'm extremely excited to get him back. I think he has a control over the game that – someone like Garland, I think will get to eventually, but it's the type of control that you only get by playing 10 years of NBA basketball at like a professional level. He has mastered the ability to just kind of control the tempo, whether even if he doesn't have the ball, like you mentioned, playing off ball uh, with another ball handler, Rubio just understands how an offense is supposed to run. And he's going to make sure that that is running as smoothly as possible when he's on the court, whether he's with, just Levert in the second unit, whether it's a three guard lineup with uh, Garland and Mitchell. I'm excited to see if JB experiments with that. Um, but yeah, Rubio's return 
you want to have tempered expectations because of the injury. And I actually think the fact that Neto has kind of come out of nowhere and been playing very great lately helps with that. If we're talking about the Cavs being at full strength, you need your role players to be helping too, because with Rubio's specific uh, situation, you don't want to rush him back and give him too much to do all at once. And if you have Neto there, who's you know playing solid and small bursts, it gives Rubio a cushion to take his time and to ease himself into the lineup and figure out where he fits with this team. And uh, the same with Dean Wade. I think with this current roster, Dean Wade is the guy who you would want to be the starter. And that's kind of a hefty expectation for a player like him who went undrafted. And like you said, it might not be the long-term solution, but it's certainly the solution for short-term if there's not a trade made. And I'm a believer in Dean Wade. Um, Really, he has the easiest job in terms of just you need to make open three-pointers and act as a connecting piece to the front court and the back court on defense. If you can do that, you're going to succeed. And it's not as easy as it sounds, but it's easier than you know the other four players in the starting lineup. So very excited to see them both back. I think this puts the Cavs, you know, when they're together, this is their best starting lineup. Rubio's probably their best man off the bench if he returns to what he was last season. <clears throat> and yeah. uh yeah. Yeah, just jumping off the Wade thing real quick. One of my can like I really like Wade's fit on the defensive end. I think this if you're gonna have a undersized backcourt, you really it's really beneficial to have someone like Wade who you can put on on them wings. He's someone, you know, Mobley and Allen are both you feel comfortable when they're when they get switched onto wings, but you don't really want you don't really want Mobley trying to get around screens, trying to stay with Jason Tatum. You'd rather have Dean Wade do that job and Mobley, you know, help and stuff. So I really like his fit on the defensive end. The offensive end, which I think is probably the more conventional fit, uh, I think he needs to be a little more assertive on the offensive end. And this is something that we've that we saw when when he was playing this year, he, he only has a 9.3 usage rate, which is in the fifth percentile for forwards, you know, and he's only averaging, he was only average, he was only taking 3.3 threes per game and 4.9 field goal attempts. And really, and, and that's in 24 minutes. So mm-hmm. he like, I'd like to see him be a little more, assertive out there he doesn't need to be hunting his shots because he really is the fifth option but when he gets the ball he needs to be looking to score more so uh that's what that's really what i want to see from him but you know so that's why i think he needs time with the starters because it's like he needs to find his place with that with that group so hopefully he gets back as soon as possible yeah, that's important. We still we're about half. I think we are exactly at the midway point through the season now, right? Forty-one games. So Wade comes back soon. That gives you time to kind of figure out how he's going to fit in the lineup. I agree. I think he needs to be more assertive, even just because even if he's not scoring at a high rate, the fact that you are attacking and being uh, decisive when you get the ball puts pressure on the defense. Where like this is something that Okoro has struggled with where it's like he catches the ball and the ball kind of just stops because he's not going to shoot and he's not going to – he just doesn't make quick decisions. He's gotten a little better at that recently, but when Dean Wade comes in the starting lineup, you want him to be the guy where it's like 
if Mitchell breaks down the defense and gets the ball out to you, you just got to let it go or attack a closeout. You can't let the ball stop there. Um, and I think, yeah, on defense too, his fit there is really uh, unique. I think he's the only guy on this roster who can – only wing on this roster who can do both things. Like he can connect everyone defensively, and he's also the prototype for who you want to be the 3 and D guy, like to, to hit the threes too. So I'm excited to get Wade back. I'm not going to put too much on him, but I, I do think he can do just enough to get the Cavs what they need at least this season, because not to be pessimistic, uh, we're going to talk about the trade deadline coming up soon. And this is, uh, I think, an important thing to keep in mind. I don't think this team is winning a championship this year. And it's not because I don't think they're talented enough. I just don't think teams in the NBA don't get over the hump on their first try. You're not going to, they're not coming out of nowhere, but this would be their first time in the playoffs in a seven game series with this core. Mitchell is the most experienced of the core. Obviously, you have Kevin Love coming off the bench, U.S. championship experience, but the rest of these guys, you just don't really see a team like this get through on their first try. And so moving in, I guess we can start talking about the trade deadline. I am almost feeling content with them just running it with the squad that they have because I don't think there's a guy out there who is going to put them over the hump this year anyway. And so I don't think there's a need to not blow it up, but make any trade that would kind of shake up what would they have? Because again, like we mentioned, building this consistency and seeing, you know, how these guys are going to gel together when they're at full strength is something that takes time. And if you make a trade in February, you're not going to have as much time to see what you can put together come playoff time. Uh, how are you feeling about the trade deadline? The trade deadline is going to be weird because most of the guys that, the Cavs don't well the Cavs don't really have a whole lot of flexibility. They don't have you know, they don't have the draft picks to make to make a carousel vert like trade like they made last year just because you know, all the all the pick swaps and picks going to um, Utah, they have seconds that they can that they can, you know, use to improve this roster, but with the way they are with the cap, they still have to send out salary to make it, to make it work. And the salary that you're, that you're most likely to be sending out, you know, you have Dylan Windler at about 5 million, which you're not really going to get somebody who, you know, is really going to make a big difference for this team with who's making about that, who's making that kind of money. You have Jetty Osmond, who's making closer to 8 million, which that gets you more in the ballpark of a guy that you would look to target you know, and then you have Karis LeVert with 20 million, who is probably the easiest guy to trade, um, you know, given his salary and given that he is on an expiring. So, but the tough part is, you know, what this team needs is this team needs more shooting. This team needs a guy who can be, you know, who can be out there, who can provide some shooting on the wing. And, you know, Levert and Jetty Osman are the best on this team. You know, I think Jetty gets too short of a leash from JB Bickerstaff. Uh, that's a whole separate conversation. That's like a separate hour long conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but um, you know, so I think that Jetty is a really good fit with this team. I wouldn't want to trade him out unless you're getting something that is a better fit, which makes it really tough because if you're sending out Jetty and you're hoping to get a better version of Jetty Osman, why would the 
team that you're trading Jetty Osmond to send a better version of the same exactly. exact player. Yeah. So you need a little Kobe Altman magic there if you're going to get something like that. Right. And it's like, I'm because, like, I, you know, Jetty Osmond's not the perfect player. Uh, he is a, I think he is a really good fit. His skill set's a good fit with his team. He has a short leash. And it's like, well, if he has a short leash and he's not trusted by JB, it'd be better off bringing somebody with that, with mm-hmm. a similar skill set who JB trusts. But yeah. it's just, it's just really hard to, to make a trade work from that standpoint. It's easier to see a Karis LeVert trade because Karis LeVert is kind of playing out of place with the Cavs. At least he is when he's playing with the starting five. You know, his natural his natural skill set, he's naturally, he's best with the ball in his hands. He's, you know, he's comfortable creating for himself and others. And he's not as comfortable, you know, just being that third guy. So you can, you could see, hey, maybe, maybe, you know, Sacramento needs another needs another playmaker needs another guy who can create for themselves. You know, Harrison Barnes isn't really that guy who can create for himself, but he's comfortable playing off of four other guys who can. So, you know, maybe a trade like that would make sense. You know, maybe you could find the perfect partner for that trade, but it that's just it's tough because you're just you're you just have a really limited number of trades that you can make that actually would make sense for both teams. Cause it's like, Oh yeah. The, you know, it'd be Boyan, Boyan Bogdanovich would be great for this team. It's like, of course. And mm-hmm. if, if they wanted to trade for him, they should have, they should have got him in the uh, Mitchell trade should have tried to get him there. Now it's, you know, now Detroit sent out a first, you know, they're not going to be looking to just trade him away for a second and Karis LeVert, you know, so that's not going to help them. So it's like, you're just really in a tough spot here. So yeah, maybe, maybe you could find the perfect fit. Maybe there's a dance partner that's perfect for you, but it's likely, you know, it's likely you're going to, you're going to get back something that's imperfect too. Yeah, the Cavs are in a funny position here because it's like they know exactly what they need. And I think every other team in the NBA knows exactly what they need too. And the options just aren't really out there. Like there's a couple of players, like you mentioned, Harrison Barnes, Bogdanovich, who's probably like on paper, Bogdanovich is probably the most ideal guy you could get because he does play that uh, role as a, a guy who can play off ball and knock down threes. He has experience with Mitchell. He's a solid playmaker. He's a crafty defender or a savvy defender. He's not necessarily a great one, but he kind of slots right in there perfectly. I think Barnes is another good fit too, but Sacramento is on the verge of making the playoffs for the first time in 19 years. I don't think they're going to do anything that could potentially risk punting on that. I think they're just kind of in a position where they're like, we got something that's working. We looks like we're going to make the playoffs. Let's just roll with it. Yeah, so, like any any trade for Barnes, it has to be this makes the Kings better as well. Mm, so it yeah. needs to be a situation where if you're the Kings, you say, yes, we need this skill set instead of the skill set that Harrison Barnes has. And yeah. maybe like maybe that's Karis LeVert, but it's just so tough when you have a team that is playing really good basketball, you know, taking out somebody who is a key contributor for their team. And plugging somebody else in there. And it's the same, it's the same conversation for the Cavs. It's like Karis Levert has a big role on this team. Taking him out 
doesn't necessarily make them better. You got to get somebody who fits really well if you're gonna if you're gonna make that move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, entering the season, I probably would have bet all of my money that Karis Levert would be traded by the deadline, or at least. I would have bet that I would personally have wanted Levert traded because he just felt kind of like the odd man out. But maybe this shows why I'm not the best at sports betting because he's kind of been winning me over recently. Um, You know, we have to see he's always been kind of a streaky player. So it's you never want to get too high or too low on him. But over his last six games, he's averaging 18 points, three and a half assists, and he's shooting 48% from the floor, 43% from the three-point line. Of course, this is uh, games with Mitchell and Garland being on the sideline, so his numbers are going to be a little juiced. And as I said, he's a streaky player, but he's really doing everything you could ask for from him in his position. He's creating shots for others at a high rate. He's not really turning the ball over that much. He's knocking down three-pointers right now. He's scoring efficiently, and he's playing very good defense. He's an energy guy. There's never a moment where I feel like Levert is kind of just phoning it in he every time he comes off the bench he's ready to play he's you know rejuvenating the first unit sometimes when they come out sluggish and like you said if you're going to trade him it should be for an upgrade otherwise what's the point of getting rid of him and when you look at kind of you know the players that we talked about Barnes sure he's I would say an upgrade in terms of fit like he makes more sense on paper same with Bogdanovich but even if you could get those guys in a straight up swap for Levert without any other, you know, like you can convince the Kings to do that. Is it a big enough upgrade to where it's worth it? And even if you look at the other guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. or Alec Burks, like, are you really getting better by trading Levert for any of those guys? You know? Yeah. It's, it's like Tim Hardaway Jr. I think theoretically he fits better, but it's like, he's also shooting worse from three point from the three point line than Karis Levert is. So it's like, well, we're trading someone who's better, who's been better this season at this particular task. And we're hoping that the guy who hasn't been as good is significantly better and makes this trade work. So it's just, it's really, it's really a tough spot. And I do think like, I do think, you know, I do think Tim Hardaway Jr. is a cleaner fit. I think, you know, I think you could put him in the starting lineup with this team and you could say, okay, yeah, this is, this is a veteran. This is a guy who we can trust. He's not, you know, you're not going to have the same questions that you have with Dean Wade or any of the other guys who've been a starter this year, but it's, you know, you're still, you know, it's like Karis Levert has been good, even if it's been unconventional and frustrating at times. Yeah. Unconventional is the word there, I think, because when you look at any of the trade targets that the Cavs have been, you know, rumored to be linked with, it's all about fit, right? Like you're not necessarily upgrading in terms of talent, but you're upgrading in terms of fit. And while I definitely think there's something valuable there in finding a player who fits, I also think, as you mentioned earlier, something like when we put Laurie in the starting lineup next to two other seven footers, like at the time, that seemed crazy. Why would you do that? That's not how you win in modern NBA basketball. And it's kind of the same thing right now. It's like, why do you have Lavert when you already have Garland, Mitchell, and eventually Rubio? You don't really need his skill set. Why not try and find a traditional 3 and D guy? And I think the Cavs have proven, at least before, that you don't need to follow the standard formula 
step by step. And maybe playing this weird, unconventional style will help them in the long run to separate themselves from the rest of the NBA. We'll see. I don't want to jump the gun and say that this is going to work beautifully. And Levert and Rubio will be like that four guard lineup or just rotation, I mean. And even if you want to include Neto in there, it's probably the most, con- the, the strongest rotation of guards in the league, just in terms of like if they're all playing uh, a high brand of basketball, like that they're capable of. I don't think you find a guard rotation in the NBA that's better than that. And maybe you don't need that many good guards, but it's certainly something that you can hang your hat on. So it's just this team, like this team needs as many guys who can dribble, shoot and pass the ball as possible. When you have, when your team is built around like your whole defense, your whole defensive identity, which is what this team is really built on is built around Mobley and Allen and neither one of them, are shooters they're they don't create a whole lot of space i mean allen does create for vertical space but you know mobley's you know mobley is he's been a good you know he is uh taken leaps as a playmaker this year but you're always going to be at a disadvantage offensively when you have both of those guys on the floor and that's and that's okay because they make your defense so good but you need guys who can do all those other things around them. And the Cavs don't have that, you know, Lamar, Lamar Stevens isn't a guy who is comfortable running a pick and roll, who's comfortable distributing, you know, Dean Wade, I think he's going to be, I think he'd be a good fit. He's not that like, he's not comfortable doing those things. And nowadays in the, in the NBA, you know, a couple of years ago when the Warriors were really, when the 2015, 2016 Warriors were doing their thing, it was the idea of, okay, we're just going to be, everyone's going to be small. We're going to have these interchangeable lineups. And that didn't really work. Like going small isn't necessarily, you know, hasn't necessarily taken off. Like I think people thought it might've back yeah. then. It, it works when you have Stephen Curry there and Draymond Green. Right. It's yeah. It's kind of hard to replicate. Right. Like Draymond Green is one of one. Um, you know, he's, it's, you know, PJ Tucker for the, for the Rockets works well for spurts, but you can't mm-hmm. just play him at center for 30 minutes and expect everything to go well. But what has happened from that is everyone, you need guys out there who are skilled. Like you need four or five guys who are comfortable doing a lot of different things. And there's always going to be a place in the league for people currently as good as Allen and Mobley, but it just kind of puts you at a little bit of a disadvantage uh, in creating and in playmaking and shooting when you have those guys out there. So you just need a roster with as many guys who can cover up for them as possible. And it's like yeah. Levert is the only, like he's really, you know, him and him and Neto. I mean, I know, I know Neto's been, Neto's had a good week, you know, but Neto has been borderline unplayable for large portions of the season. So we don't yeah. need to get carried away and, and act <laughs> like Neto is like the answer here. So it's like, yeah, the Cavs currently, for most season, they've had like three guys that JB trusts to do those things. And it's like, if you're going to trade away one of those guys, he, you better get somebody who fits so well with this team that it's a no-brainer. And I don't think that guy's out there. 100%. I agree. I think, I mean, I could be proven wrong. Maybe they trade for Tim Hardaway and he just absolutely kills it. But right now, I'm, I'm feeling kind of content with where they are in the lineup that they have. So... We'll see if they find something out there. Go ahead. One thing I think to keep an eye on is 
Levert in the starting lineup at the beginning of the year was pretty bad. I believe the Cavs were two and four in games that they had Levert with the core four starting. They had like a minus 5.7 net net rating. And then Levert was moved to the bench on November, November 18th. So like halfway through November. Um, and that, and that made sense because it just wasn't working. But since then, that that um, five man lineup hasn't started since then. But they have had the best plus minus of any of any Cavalier five man lineup since then. So, you know, since he's been moved to the bench, when they have Levert with the core four, they've been outscoring opponents by forty points. And that's the highest, that's the highest. And that's only in 46 minutes. So they're plus 40 and 46 minutes. It's, you know, it's far from their most used lineup, but it's been easily their best lineup. So, you know, it's like, I, like, I personally would like to see Levert get another chance with the starters. And I think that's something you could play around with when you have, when you have Rubio back. Or if you trust Neto more, you know, you have another playmaker off the bench. So, yeah, that's interesting. I I definitely think, you know, the potential for Levert to be a really good fit, maybe not a traditional fit, but a really good fit with those starters is there and it's been flashed. So, yeah, that's that's really the reasoning for why I'm cool with them just running with this team Mm -hmm. and seeing what happens, because. I know you you never want to get too complacent in the NBA. You don't want to just assume that the Cavs are going to be there con- competing for the next five years, but it really is year one of having these expectations. And I don't think there's a need. You don't need to be too urgent in making a trade this deadline. We can see if Levert manages to find a way to fit long-term with the starting lineup. And if he doesn't, you have the summer, you have next trade deadline. Like That's when you can really start to see what's out there and make a move if you feel like, you know, this isn't going to work. Cause right now I don't think we know if it's going to work. It's very much up in the air. So it's worth, uh, you know, giving it a shot. I, I think this team is good enough. Like, you know, I think experience is kind of, I think experience does get talked about a little too much. Um, I think, you know, I think teams that don't have experience can still compete at the highest levels. Like, you know, if the net, like, if you go into a, a playoff series, someone gets injured, the Cavs are suddenly in a position where they can go to the Eastern Conference Finals or maybe even the Finals. So it's like, this is a really good team. This has been one of the best teams all season. So I'm okay with saying, hey, this is a good group. If if that guy's out there, let's go get him. It's just, I don't think that guy's out there. And the Cavs don't, and if that guy is out there, the Cavs don't have enough to go get him right now. So that's where, so that's where I'm at. And that, so we arrived at the same point, you know, I'm okay with (laughs) this. I'm okay with them. Like, I think, I don't think there's a slam dunk better option than Levert out there. And I don't know if you can get a better version of Jetty with Jetty's contract. So I think it's okay to just keep it going. And then, you know, the conversation about what to do with Karis in the off season, I think that's going to be a very interesting one. I don't know if the Cavs should, you know, I don't know if they should be the team to extend him or maybe a sign and trade is a better option, but in the off season, it's just a lot easier to make these moves and to retool. Yeah. I'm with you. We'll stay tuned to see if Kobe Altman has some crazy trick up his sleeve, but for now, I think uh, that's a good place to wrap it up there. I think we're on the same page with uh, 
what we want them to do in the deadline. I'm not opposed to a trade, but I, I'm kind of okay with just letting them run this squad and see what happens. Um, so, yeah, thanks, everyone, for watching. Please subscribe to the pod, leave a rating, follow me and Jackson on Twitter. It'll be in the description. And uh, thanks for coming on, Jackson. It was great. No problem. Thank yep. you for having me. Yep. And uh, go Cavs. <laughs>